This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, June 10th, 2022. I'm Kellen Walker. Jamie's out this week. Today on the show, car dealers feel good now, but not as confident about the near future. A top Toyota supplier considers spinning off its chip business. And there's good and bad news for Tesla. Plus, a look at what dealerships need to do before December to be in compliance with the updated safeguards rule. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Franchised dealers are still feeling pretty good heading into the summer, even more than they were in 2019 before the pandemic. But despite the fact that profits have stayed robust, dealers that Cox Automotive polled this spring were a little less optimistic about the future than they were a few months ago. Cox says overall dealer sentiment softened in part because of inflation, higher costs, and inventory that's still tight. Dealers' expectations for their vehicle markets for the next three months fell from a score of 69 in the first quarter to a 64 in the second quarter. That's still a relatively positive outlook, but Cox chief economist Jonathan Smoke says that decline is not typical for this time of year. One of the world's top automotive semiconductor manufacturers might spin off its chip business. Denso is a key supplier to Toyota. The company says its semiconductor division generates more than $3 billion in sales. Today, the chips that Denso makes go into automotive parts that it then sells to car makers or other suppliers. Now, the supplier will consider whether the semiconductor division is better positioned outside of the company. Denso says nothing has been decided regarding a split. We got new vehicle registration numbers from Experian yesterday. When it comes to EVs, Tesla is still dominating. It also remained the top luxury automaker regardless of fuel type. When it comes to mainstream brands, Ford topped new vehicle registrations for electric vehicles in the first four months of the year. It was followed closely by Kia and Hyundai. The new registration data also shows California-based EV startups Rivian and Lucid Group Still struggling with their production ramp-ups with just over 1,700 combined through April. Experian says new EV registrations are likely to continue their steady increase after a 53% rise during that period. Well, that's the good news for Tesla. In the meantime, U.S. auto safety regulators are upgrading the investigation into the EV maker's advanced driver assistance system. The probe now covers an estimated 830,000 vehicles from the 2014 to 22 model years. That adds an estimated 65,000 vehicles to the investigation. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration opened up a preliminary evaluation in August after 12 Tesla crashes in the U.S. that resulted in 17 injuries and one death. They involved Tesla vehicles with autopilot engaged that were driving near first responder scenes and then struck one or more of the stopped emergency vehicles. The crashes are now up to 16. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, 
The Federal Trade Commission has updated its safeguards rule. It now requires dealerships and other financial institutions to better protect consumers' personal information. KPA team supervisor Robert Eben talks about what dealerships need to know. That's next on Daily Drive. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk and the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing. 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Kellen Walker. The Federal Trade Commission recently added to its safeguards rule. Now, it's requiring businesses to protect consumers' financial information. That includes dealerships who weren't happy about the new rules. They pushed back, saying the requirements were onerous and costly. But the FTC hasn't budged. That means dealerships are going to have to make all of the necessary adjustments by December. Robert Eben is team supervisor for the safety and compliance firm KPA. He talks with our Dan Shine about some of the new updates to the safeguards rule and some things dealerships should be doing now to make sure they're in compliance by December 9th. Here's that conversation. It's always beneficial for automotive news reporters and editors to get out of the office and into the field and not just the PR-monitored CEO interviews or guided tours of factories, but to get into a dealership and see the experience what consumers experience. And I had the opportunity this week because I bought a car. A shout out to Reggie Reg Williams at uh, Suburban Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Troy, Michigan. And I also got a chance to sit in the F&I office with uh, Chad Kutzumplik and experience what car buyers experience when sitting in that office. And it was also a chance for me to promote the F&I newsletter to Chad. You can sign up for it on the autonews.com homepage on the, down the right-hand side, about halfway through. And uh, sign up for the F&I newsletter. It comes to your inbox every Wednesday. And uh, it's full of uh, the latest news, issues, trends that are going on in the F&I industry and the challenges that people are encountering and the best practices that they're using to overcome those challenges. And on occasion, we have uh, guest columns like the one that our guest today, uh, Robert Eben, provided to us. And so, Robert, welcome. Thanks so much, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for being here. So uh, Robert is a team supervisor and a lawyer uh, for KPA, which is an, an EHS and workforce compliance software and services provider for mid-sized businesses. And Robert wrote about the safeguards rule. We've been writing a ton about it in the F&I newsletter and F&I special sections in automotive news. So Robert, tell us a little bit about 
the safeguards rule has been around for a while, but they've uh, recently the FTC put some changes on. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. What is the safeguards rule? I mean, it seems to be around everywhere nowadays. So you're right. Yeah, it was enacted, I want to say, around 1999. Well, it was actually called the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, and that's the act that was enacted in 1999, which requires financial institutions to protect and secure confidential personal information that you collect from customers. So based on a directive from the GLBA, the FTC then created the safeguards rule a few years later. And that safeguards rule specifically requires financial institutions, which, yes, includes you dealers, to develop and implement a written information security program that's designed to protect that customer information. And then some years later, 2021 in October, the FTC, citing the need to better protect uh, the public from breaches, cyber attacks, et cetera, et cetera, decided to make some amendments to the safeguards rule after a years-long process of comments and proposed rulemaking. Most of the new requirements for the safeguard rule start this coming December, December 9th to be exact. And it seems like, since I just turned over a lot of my personal information to this dealership uh, this week, it seems like a good idea, right? This is a a good thing to protect consumers, but dealerships kind of push back on some of these uh, new rules. What what was kind of the, uh, the opposition that dealerships had to these new rules? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously it is a good idea, especially in this day and age, we hear about cyber attacks seemingly every week in the news. I think the pushback from dealers from what I've heard uh, is primarily that some of the the new requirements in the amended rule are pretty onerous. They're more specific. And, you know, it's just kind of another thing on the dealer's plate, especially where I come from in California. There's so many things already that a dealer has to worry about. That This is kind of another thing thrown on there. And it can be overwhelming for dealers. And I think that that was the initial pushback, especially when you take into account the cost that could potentially take to to bring you up to to snuff, so to speak, on this new rule. So there are several new kind of amendments, I don't know if you call them amendments, requirements that go in with this into the new rule. I like kind of maybe three or four or five of kind of the, the more significant ones or ones that maybe people are talking about the most. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think... There are a bunch, as you alluded to. At a high level, I think a couple that I'll I'll throw out there. Uh, The first one being is that you got to appoint a single qualified individual. And the reason why I mention this is this single individual needs to be responsible for the implementation, oversight, et cetera, of your security program. And this differs because the previous rule or the previous version of the rule allowed you to have multiple people or entities assist with this. And now it's a single qualified individual. The second thing I wanted to point out is there's an affirmative requirement to now train employees on security awareness. You're also going to need to install specific required safeguards. Uh, The safeguards rule previously kind of stated certain things and they were kind of broad. Now the rule makes specific requirements for safeguards that every financial institution has to have. Amongst them are, you're going to have to implement and periodically review access controls to prevent unauthorized access and use of your systems. You're going to need to conduct a data and systems inventory, which is basically identifying how you collect and circulate your customer information. You're going to need to encrypt customer information at rest and in transit, install multi-factor authentication. You're going to need to adopt change management procedures and log user activity and unauthorized access just to name a few. A couple more that I wanted to point out that I think as we talked about being onerous and having dealers being hesitant and and a little nervous about uh, these new 
requirements are conducting annual penetration testing and biannual vulnerability assessments. Now, the rule says you can continuously monitor your information systems or do this annual penetration testing and biannual vulnerability assessment. Continuously monitoring your systems is pretty tough and, and pretty expensive to do if you're a small dealer group or if you're a mom and pop shop. So you may not be able to do that. And that's why you would have to opt for those other things. Penetration testing being kind of like an ethical hacking where you're going to basically launch simulated cyber attacks to see if there's any weaknesses and vulnerability assessments being just looking at your software, websites, et cetera, to evaluate any vulnerabilities. The final thing I probably want to mention here before I forget is that you're going to also want to oversee and periodically assess your service providers to determine what risk they present to your customer information that you're sharing with them and the adequacy of their safeguards that they have in place. So I can see, like you said, like probably the smaller dealerships are, you know, this is difficult for them. I think probably like, you know, like the suburban CDJR store that I was at, big part of a big dealership, many rooftops, they probably are a little bit more covered and they probably have some, a lot sure. of measures in place. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say like a lot of big dealer groups that I've talked to may even have an IT department, maybe have, have a chief technical officer or something of that sort, which leaves them, you know, a leg up on some of the smaller dealerships. So to your point. Yeah. Yeah. So I know these took effect in January, I think, I think you wrote. Correct. Everybody's got till December 9th, I think is the magic date. And if there's anyone thing like me, they procrastinate. Uh, so what should dealerships be thinking about now in your guest column you wrote, you know, kind of did a few uh, numbered points on, you got to start now if you want to get ready for December. What are some of those highlights? Yeah, sure. I mean, and I think the important thing to remember is that, you know, the rule or a lot of the requirements start December 9th, but, you know, it's going to take some time to put these things in place to where you're set up for December 9th. And so I think the few things that I want to mention on what you can start doing now is, you know, first and foremost, you're going to want to do that inventory of your data and your systems. That could take a while because you're going to need to figure out where all this information is coming from and where it's going to. Start putting together those IT requirements and start putting them in place, like the multi-factor authentication, the penetration testing, vulnerability assessments, encryption, and the like. You're also going to want to work on identifying all your service providers, figuring out who you're still using, and then start assessing those risks. Start making sure your contracts are up to date with them. Start revising your information security program to include all those new required elements that we just discussed. You're also going to want to start working on writing something I didn't mention before was this thing called an incident response plan. And basically what that is, is how you respond to data breaches. There's specific requirements in the rule of what that should include, but that's something that you're probably going to want to start looking into right now because it might take some time to draft and, and to work out all the kinks. So that's a lot of good information for dealerships, for FNI offices around the country, for this new safeguard rules requirements. If you sign up, like I said, for the FNI newsletter, it comes every week. You can read Robert's full guest column in this week's newsletter. It comes out every Wednesday. And uh, Robert from uh, KPA, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Robert Eben is team supervisor for the safety and compliance firm KPA. He spoke with Dan Shine of Automotive News. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. 
You can get the latest news on retail, supply chains, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, remember like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.